They say that everything has a reason. And everything has its season. But really, it feels like everything is treason. Yeah. So, here I am and I feel like the waves are crashing down on the mind of my soul. And Lord, it seems like you're daydreaming and I'm walking through a nightmare. Why don't you wake up? You see, I need a reason to believe that everything is going to be all right. I need a reason to believe that everything is going to still be all right, even when I try to wake up, walk on the waves and you know that I can't swim, right? You see, I need a reason to believe. Please, I'm pleading, I need a reason to believe. The waves are crashing, and the sound of the waves in the water, they bring their treachery. You see, I fish on this sea. I sell on this sea. My family has made their life on this sea. I grew up on this sea. Matter of fact, I got friends on this sea. But it seems like there's nothing today that will appease this sea. And you see, what I see is dreadfully coming closer while the shore of my safety is drifting away. So I guess you could say that I left all my safety nets on that shore today. You see, it got me thinking and wondering, what am I really going to do? Here we are stuck on this boat. And the reality meets me and it starkly says that if something doesn't happen soon, we're all going to be drowning. So I need you to wake up. Can't you see that we're all about to die? And while you're just set sleeping like a dead man, you can't hear anything. Why in the world did I get on this boat today? Well, good morning. I think y'all can hear me. Can you hear me? Do I need to move this thing? Up a little? Up a little? Okay, we'll stick with that for now. Man, this place is like buzzing this morning. It's awesome. It's like, I'm super excited to get to teach this morning just because worship was incredible. Uh, the poetry was incredible. I'm really excited. Uh, my name is Ryan Stevens. If you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you. Come find me after the service. I'll be milling around here. Um, we are continuing our sermon series today through Mark. And it's been extremely rich. And as we already heard for today, our text that we're going to review is Mark 35. Or Mark? Whoa. Whoa, whoa, Ryan. Whoa. Slow down, Ryan. Slow down, Ryan. Is, is Mark 4, 35 through 41. That's better. And thank you to my lovely wife for reading it for us. So if you remember back to the very, very beginning of the book of Mark, the very, very beginning of our sermon series, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the author says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Now this is important. He leads the whole book with what is the whole point of the whole book. It's what is going to be what he's going to spend the next several chapters outlining. What's the big idea? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this fact alone, it's obviously important Right? But as we've continued to dive through Mark, as we've continued to go through person after person, question who he is. Who is this man? We've heard it from the masses, and we've heard it from individuals. We've heard it from the Pharisees, and now this week is the first time we get to hear the disciples take a turn. And the disciples really question who is this man. And I think it's interesting because he's personally and practically, the disciples have been walking with Christ for a while now. Right? They had seen some stuff. 
But even them, even at this point in Christ's ministry, they're still asking, who is this? Who is this guy? So that sort of made me think that really the entire book of Mark is written just to answer this one question, right? Who is this man? So then that's the question we have to ask ourselves then, right? Is who is he? If you've never accepted him, if you don't have a relationship for him, perhaps you're still asking yourself this question. And if you've known him for a while, I've known him for a while, I find the question that I ask is, who has he shown himself to be in my life? And some of us might struggle with this for a long time. It can be really hard to quantify uh, with words. The youth, uh, we've been going through this uh, study with the youth that's been sort of the foundations of faith. And as I sit down and try to describe to this group of teenagers who Christ has shown himself to be in my life, it's been extremely challenging. But, that being said, if we actually do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if we believe that he is God himself, then there are certain implications that come along with that, right? And that's what I want to talk about today. So one of the things Greg has always told me as I'm preparing for messages, right, is that though the way, the way we do this, the best way to do it in, in our opinion, but I just do it like he does, so for what it's worth, is to, to read the text and decide what is the overarching theme? What's the one big thing that this section of text is really trying to teach us? What's the big idea here? And moreover, being as this is one of the Gospels and one of the Synoptic Gospels, then the question that I found myself asking was, why this story? Like, why was this included? Why did the author decide that this was important enough? In all of the things that he watched Christ do, in all of the time that he spent with him, why was this important enough to be included in his text? And actually, this is included in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story is. So after thinking about it and praying about it and spending a lot of time in the text, here's my big idea, right? Here's what I think the big idea of this text is. And that's that Jesus Christ has both the power and the authority to deliver. So I'm going to break it down and we'll go dive into points. But, but first I want to sit on this for a second because we have to grasp the gravity of this statement. We have to sort of understand the weight that it carries and where better to go than to the lips of Jesus Christ himself, right? You want proof? Well, let's go to Jesus. Let's see what he has to say about himself. In Luke 10, 19, the 72 have just returned from being sent out, right? And they're excited about what's been happening, and they're talking to Jesus, and they say, they're talking to Jesus, telling him about their excitement, and he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. He gave them authority. So he had to have authority in order to give authority. Right? And then in Matthew 28, verse 18, here Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead and he's just about to ascend. Very end of Matthew, right? And he doesn't have to be cryptic about who he is anymore. He doesn't have to be worried about being, you know, arrested for blasphemy. So instead, he just lays it out really straight. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's pretty hard to argue with. Pretty clear. So as Christians, in general, and specifically here at LifeSpring, right, we believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth in order to be the sacrifice for all sin, for all time, so that we all might be able to be introduced back into relationship with God, despite our sinning, right? Despite our, our dirtiness. And that's a big deal. So as we think about that, we're saying if Christ has the authority to get us into heaven, we're saying he has authority over heaven, 
right? He has power and authority in heaven. And that's a big deal, obviously, because it leads to our salvation. But what I don't want us to overlook is the reality that he also has power and authority here and now on earth. So as we think about the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, we have to think about two things. A, he he has the power and authority to deliver us from sin, to give us eternal life, to provide salvation, but he also has power and authority to deliver us from the enemy, from trial, from tribulation, from the things that we're facing here on earth. Right? Everyone's like, very quiet. Okay, okay, okay. So that being said, I think that honestly, this can be a little hard to swallow. So sometimes I think that we look at the salvation piece and we're like, that's good, right? Jesus Christ can deliver me from my sins sort of globally, but we forget about his ability to deliver us from the things that we're facing on a a daily basis. The question is, how often do we really lean on him throughout the day? And this is even deeper. As I was thinking about this, I do this all the time. As I was thinking about this, um, how much easier is it to believe in Jesus Christ's power and authority to deliver when it's someone else that needs delivering? You know, we're like, oh, Barbara, Jesus is bigger than that. (laughs) Right? And then we're like in the same situation a week later, and we're like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) So... I think it's funny, like I said, this is something that I struggle with on a regular basis, and I find a lot of times when I'm doing these messages, when I'm teaching, I'm like teaching it to myself. Like you think it's like, oh, Ryan's teaching it, but I, I need this probably more than anyone else, right? I need this just as much as everyone else. And I think Greg probably agrees with me every week. So as we dive into the text, the very first thing that uh, struck me, and it struck me in a way, I'd, I'd read this several times before, I've heard the story, it's sort of like a, like a Sunday school story, right? I've heard this story before, but this thing stuck out like a a sore thumb to me as I read this. And that was in verse 36. It says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Just as he was. Just as Jesus was. The disciples took Jesus just as he was. And I was like, wait one minute. Because Jesus takes us just as we are, right? So it's got to be a typo. Has to be wrong. It must be a typo. And then, so I was thinking, like, who are the disciples to say, we'll take Jesus along just as he is? And the way it's stated, it sort of makes me think, right, that Jesus, the disciples and Jesus are standing around on one side of the lake, and they're like, Jesus is like, hey guys, let's go, let's jump in a boat, we'll just buzz across the lake. And the disciples sort of look at each other, and they're like, so I guess, uh, I guess we'll just, I guess we'll just take him. (laughs) And then the other disciple says, just like that? So it made me wonder, like, why is this in there? What is, what is happening? It has, to be, it has to be more clear. And it's interesting that in the other two versions, in Matthew and in Luke, this just as he was language isn't in there. This is only in the Mark version. So once I got past sort of some initial confusion, and like, what is going on with this and why is it in there? I started to realize why it's not only present, but why it's extremely significant. And so here's my first point. Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver just as he is. So, why is it in there? If you do some, some reading, right, you go read some commentaries on this text and you say, like, what are these, like, 
big biblical scholars say, why is this text in there? Why is this just as he was wording in there? You'll find two primary reasons why they say it's in there. The first reason is that they sort of are hinting at the fact that maybe Jesus was looking a little haggard at this point, right? That he's been out, he's been milling around, he's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been meeting with people over and over and over. And I don't see any any scripture thus far in the text where it says that the disciples you know, put Jesus down for a nap because he was looking a little tired, right? Eat a Snickers bar, Jesus. (laughs) And And so he had to be looking a little haggard, right? He had to be looking forward to a little snooze in the boat from point A to point B as he's moving across the lake. Sleeping, right? As he's moving across the lake, sleeping while the disciples are panicking. So, as I think about it, I'm like, okay, Haggard Jesus theory, probably valid. I'll give him that. The second theory that you'll find is that the wording was actually meant to hint at the fact that the boat was ill-prepared for the journey across the lake. That Jesus was like, hey, let's go, not 30 minutes from now, let's just get in this boat and go. And that was not something you did when you're crossing a lake that's 33 miles across, right? So they're hinting at the fact that maybe the boat was ill-prepared. And this is also a valid theory. If you look at sort of the way Mark is written, with this immediately and at once. Everything is like very urgent in Mark. And so this theory also probably valid. But I have another theory on this as I, as I was thinking through this this last couple weeks. I think that they say they took Jesus along just as he was because they were trying to point out two things. I think they were trying to point out that he was A, he was a man, and B, that he was God, Right? So the author, as he's writing this text, he's not, like, he's not like journaling as he's going. He's not like, oh, we took Jesus just as he was, and then, then the storm happens. He knows how the story is going to end as he's writing it. So I think that he had to say, just one more time, he had to say, this was a man, right? Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake, and this was a man. This was a guy. He was human. He was in the flesh. We took him along, not as some like mega god storm calmer charm thing. They're like, well, just in case things get hairy, we'll take Jesus with us. He was saying, like, this is, this is a man. This was our buddy. Like, this was, this was our bra. So this is, like, this is sort of how I, this is what I would equate it to, right? It's like, let's say for a minute that I'm Shia LaBeouf in Transformers. Okay? Okay? All right. I'm, I'm Sam Witwicky, all right? And I go out to my car, my 2002 Honda Accord today after church. And I get in it, and I find out that it's actually a robot from outer space sent to save the planet from aliens, okay? Next Sunday, when I'm telling people this story, I'm going to be like, so I go out to my car. I get in my car, right? And it's just my car. Like, it's just a Honda Accord. I get in it, and it's just a car. And then, and that's what I think Mark is doing. He's saying, we took Jesus along just as he was. He was a man. We took him just like this, just as we knew him to be in that moment. But we had no idea. We had no idea what he really was. So he is quantifying the humanity of Jesus one more time before he tells about the supernatural powers that he possesses. So remember the disciples, <laughs> the disciples were actually following Jesus. They were observing all these miracles he was performing, and I'm sure that they knew to some extent, or they thought they knew, right, who exactly they were following. At least they thought they did. When they got in the boat, they, had a, they thought they had a pretty good idea of who this was. And see, it hit me that they had seen some crazy stuff, 
they'd seen the healing, the dude coming through the ceiling, and the paralytic walking, and sight restored, and lepers healed, and crazy stuff. But they hadn't ever had a personal encounter with Christ's ability to deliver. Themselves, right? They'd always, they'd always been observers. And don't get me wrong, they'd had great seats. They'd courtside seats, right? But they'd never played in the game. They'd seen it happen a lot of times, but they'd never played. So when they wake up Jesus thinking that they're a goner, thinking that it's all over for them, and Jesus tells the storm to stop, and it does, suddenly they have a view of the power and authority of Jesus Christ that they've never had before. Suddenly it's new. They've seen it with their own eyes. They now know that the man they got into the boat with is actually God. And based on their response in verse 41, it says that they're terrified. And they say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? It's pretty clear to me that at that point in time, they may not have had as clear a view of who Jesus was when they got on the boat as they did at that moment in the middle of the storm. And it's weird because you thought that if they'd been walking with him and seeing all the miracles that they would have been sort of buttered up to the idea that he was God. And when Jesus could like, just like wakes up and calms the storm, they would have been like high-fiving and chest-bumping and been like, yeah, this is sweet, right? But it's not. In fact, they have the only response that you could possibly have when you realize that you're standing on a boat with God. And they tremble in fear. And that trembling, that's what showed me that the reality is This was included in the book. This story was included in the book. This statement, just as he was, was included in the book to show us that they realized the gravity and the power that Jesus Christ, having all a power and authority on earth, actually had. For the first time, they understood it. So see, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is good enough just the way he is. He has all power and authority here on earth, and we can can take him along with us just as he is. We can trust that that will be enough. And honestly, I feel like we trust that that will be enough until he gets us into something and blows our minds and totally reforms and reshapes our view of him. And then maybe we see it a little clearer for a little while until he does it again and again and again. But here's the catch too, right? Jesus asked the disciples to take him to the other side of the lake. The fact that they were even on the lake in the first place was Jesus' idea. So if his disciples had stayed on land, if they'd made some lame excuse, right? They're like, Jesus, let's just hang out on the beach. Let's take a nap here. If they hadn't listened to his voice, if they hadn't followed his commands, if they hadn't been obedient to his will, they would have missed the whole thing. They would have miss the opportunity to see God in the flesh exercise his power and authority in a way that's, that they never had seen before. And I wonder how their stories would have been different if this, in Mark 4, early on in the gospel, if this wasn't included, if this had never happened, how would their stories be different? See, Jesus is enough just the way he is, and so when he tells us to move, we have to move. We can't stay behind on the beach where it's comfy, where we, under, where we think we understand him. We can't stay there. We have to step into his power and authority and trust that it's actually enough just as he is. 
So that brings me to my second point. The second thing is that Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver wherever we are. So as we just talked about, the disciples knew or they thought they knew who they were getting into the boat with, right? They took him along just as he was or just as they found him to be in that moment. And Jesus had been walking around and performing miracles and blowing their minds on land. So I don't think they doubted it when Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat. He was, they were like, okay, yeah, they were all in. Was just, yeah, cool, we'll just buzz to the other side of the lake, no big deal. And it's easy to trust God and to trust the power and authority of Jesus at that moment when you're standing where you're most comfortable, right? But as soon as they get into the middle of the lake, they, the things start to circle the drain a little bit. They start, they start panicking, right? They watch the clouds gather. They watch the wind start to pick up and the waves start to swell. And I'm sure they had to have started looking around at each other and going like, what the heck? Where is Jesus? Oh yeah, he's sleeping in the stern. Perfect. That makes sense. And then in Jesus' apparent absence, they start to doubt that he has any power and authority in the middle of the lake. Where they are right now. And I think this is obvious from the way they approach him. They approach, right? They, they go to Jesus and they're like, Teacher! Don't you care if we drown? They didn't like walk up to him and be like, Hey, bro, things are getting a little out of control up here. If maybe you could just calm this thing down a little bit. They say, Don't you care if we drown? See, if Jesus is capable to deliver just the way he is, then he is capable to deliver wherever he is, right? Or wherever we are. And I think that a lot of times we hear Jesus very clearly call us into something while we're standing on firm ground and we're like, easy decision. We know it probably is going to come with some risk, but we're just like the disciples, we're all in. And I'm really bummed because I had this Jesus that I bought on Amazon, this little pocket Jesus. Oh, man, I forgot him at home. Okay, next time I preach, I will somehow find a way to use pocket Jesus. <laughs> I promise you. But so, we, so we, take our, we take our Jesus, right, on land, and we high-five him, and we're like, yeah, we're all in. This is going to be awesome. We're psyched. Trust you every step of the way, Lord. We tuck him in our pocket, and we jump. Just imagine him. We tuck him in our pocket, and we jump into whatever he's calling us into, Right? But then on later, the moment we start to struggle, the moment we encounter a little adversity, we find ourselves in a dark valley, our confidence in him starts to be a little bit, starts to wane a little bit, right? And we find ourselves yelling out, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we die, if we go bankrupt, if I'm humiliated? Don't you care if my marriage crumbles? Don't you care if my kids go wayward? Don't you care? We started the journey with complete confidence, right? But the minute things got a little bit tough, started to doubt whether Jesus has a power and authority to deliver where I'm at. And I know for myself, I get a little annoyed, right? I'm like, Jesus, I'm only in this boat. Because of you. <laughs> so where are you at right now? You're sleeping with your head on a cushion. 
right? Nowhere to be found is where you are right now. But the reality is that he isn't absent, right? Tucked in my pocket. And Psalm 23, 1 through 4 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his name's sake. I.e., he calls me into things, he leads me into things, and he is with me when things are great, right? Green pastures, quiet waters, that sounds nice. (laughs) Well, the second point, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. A.K.A., even when things go bad, when we find ourselves in places that God probably, we don't think God would want to hang out, even when we find ourselves in places like that, he's still with us. Corey Schmittelkofer, he used to come to our church, right? He's a a great friend of mine. Uh, He finds himself in Spinard often. A lot of people in Anchorage are avoiding Spinard, right? (laughs) Like, "Eh, going over there. But he finds himself on Spinard often, and he's got a ministry that meets at the Alano Club on Spinard. For some of us, Spinard's the darkest valley in Anchorage, right? But God's working there. He's moving there. So following Jesus may at times take us into some valleys that seem pretty dark. May end us up on a boat in the middle of a rager. But the reality is that if Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver just the way he is and wherever he is, then he has the power and authority to deliver wherever we are. So when Jesus wakes up, he does cool things down. He does calm down the storm. And this is another part in the story where something struck me as I read this this time. I started trying to think of all the times that Jesus exercised power and authority over nature. Right? Over the natural world. Where he uses his power and authority to do something supernatural in our natural world. And the two times that I could really think of, I'm not saying they're the only two, so you can come up to me afterwards and be like, Brian, you're wrong. But the two times that immediately stuck out to me is this, the calming of the storm, and when, and when uh, the walking on water, right? When Jesus walks on water. So, oh, that was Moses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. So what I thought is like interesting tie between the walking on water and the calming of the storm is this. When Jesus does uh, both of these act- activities, when he does both of these miracles, he has a pretty limited audience, right? Just the disciples, really. And this makes sense because Jesus has been walking around performing miracles in like the first four chapters of Mark thus far, telling everyone to keep it hush-hush, right? Keep it on the DL. Sure, leprosy, cleanse, Shh. So the reality is that he couldn't have everyone knowing the power, the level of power and authority that he possessed at this point in his ministry, like calming a storm in front of a huge crowd would have revealed, right? Well, why? Well, because it would have freaked people out. It would have freaked people out. I mean, the disciples have been walking with him, and they're freaked out. They're terrified. So your general run-of-the-mill townsmen, no way. No way can they handle this without having a little bit of backstory. So it would have ruined his plans for why he came, right? It would have ended his ministry early because either A, they would have been so freaked out that they seize him up, hang him on a cross, and the whole rest of Mark never happens. 
The whole rest of his ministry never happens. Or maybe it would have been so revealing as to his deity that they would have never hung him on a cross at all. That everyone would have seen, well, this is God, and so they wouldn't have hung him on a cross. Either way, it would have ended his ministry earlier. And so I don't know the exact reason um, that this happens in this order, but what I do see is that in order for Jesus to be able to calm the storm, he has to get the disciples where he wants them, where he needs them, where they would actually be primed to be able to see what he wants to show them. He had to get them alone. Now, this is one of the biggest truths that was revealed to me as I was studying for this message, and that's that, yes, Jesus is absolutely capable of delivering us wherever we are, but that fact alone makes this statement all the more important, right? Because sometimes God has to put us somewhere in order that we can actually see what he wants us to see, right? Sometimes God has to put us where he wants us so that we can see what he needs us to see. And I know that I found in my experience um, that often a new or refreshed or refined view of God or Jesus is born out of a space where I find myself yelling, don't you care if I, right, fill in the blank. Because then God responds with, yes, I absolutely do. And if, you had, if I hadn't brought you this way, then you never would have asked that question. And if you never would have asked that question, then you would never get to see what I'm about to show you right now. And once again, we're back to the fact that we may believe in Jesus on land. We may trust in Jesus' power and authority on land. But if we aren't willing to get in the boat because the land is safer, or because it's what we've always done on Sunday morning, or because it's comfy, and because it's cozy, or because there's storm brewing, there's clouds, and the waves look crazy. If we stay on land for whatever reason, you won't see the miracle. You'll miss it. If we, if we stay as life spring, just as we are right now, because we're afraid to move forward, because we're afraid that someone might not catch the vision, or because we're afraid, what if someone laughs at us? What if I don't raise my hands in worship when the Holy Spirit is telling me to raise my hands in worship? What if I don't do it because someone might laugh at me? If you stay on land, you will never see what you could see from the boat, ever. If you don't give when God calls you to give, you won't see how he can provide in a space of poverty. If you don't speak when God calls you to speak, then you'll never see how he can use your words for his glory. If you don't rest when God calls you to rest, then you may always be too busy to hear what he's desperately trying to tell you. You have to trust him, right? Because... Wherever you are, he has the power and authority to blow your mind. The natural is no match for him. So this brings me to my last point, and that's that Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver from whatever we are facing. Now, I don't get to use a lot of sermon illustrations where I'm Jesus. But I think I got one here. I've been pretty excited about it. So I think I know how Jesus felt when the disciples woke him up on the boat. Okay, so I have a, I have a four-year-old. A lot of you know Matthew, right? And, and we had that 7.2 earthquake a while back, 7 point, whatever it was. Well, I didn't, I didn't like it, but Matthew really didn't like it, right? 
and he's got a little bit of like four-year-old PTSD from it, which means that he's, he's extremely sensitive to any shifting in the house, any kind of movement. He's extremely sensitive to that. And that's all, that's all and good, except for the fact that our garage heater, those like heaters, yeah, there it is. I took a picture for you. The garage heater hangs right under his bed. Like it is attached to the ceiling right under his bed, right? So every time it kicks on, he feels the tiny little vibrations and he has flashbacks, right? And the world is ending. And so he comes running to our room where I'm sleeping with my head on a cushion. Right? You see it now? You see it now? Just like Jesus. <laughs> that, might be, that might be the closest I make it to being like Jesus during the week, right? But so he comes running into my room and he does this thing. It's like, I don't know, I, I keep thinking I should try to get it on film. Nicole sleeps through it usually, but it's really entertaining. He comes in and he sort of just like, he does like the robot kind of, like he just like does this. And I'm like, and I'm like, Matthew, what do you need? And he just, he makes indirect statements. So people are like, oh, an earthquake. Hmm? Hmm. I'm almost shaking. <laughs> he doesn't come right out and say, I'm scared that I'm good, that this, or there's another earthquake, because that would be too easy. He wants to capitalize on my 2 a.m. confusion, right? He wants to make vague, indirect statements about what he really wants. And the reality is that I've showed him this heater dozens of times, right? I've showed it to him when it's on. I've showed it to him when it's off. I've showed him where the controls are. I let him watch me turn it off because I have all power and authority over the garage heater. <laughs> I've explained to him over and over and over why it is there. Yet every time it kicks on and he feels that little shake, panic. Every time. So after he wakes me up, I get up, usually pretty annoyed, right? I roll my eyes, I walk downstairs, I turn off the garage heater. I got to deal with the heater before I can deal with Matthew, right? So I deal with the heater and then I come back upstairs and I'm like, really, really? It's the heater, bro. It's the heater. It's the heater. It shakes your bed just a little bit. It's okay. It has to happen so the garage can stay warm so dad doesn't have to scrape his window. <laughs> and see, the reality is that Matthew can stand in the garage during the day and look at the heater and he can know that it's not dangerous, right? At that point, he knows that it has no authority over him. He watches it run and he doesn't think it's scary. But when he's by himself in the middle of the night, when he starts to doubt whether he or I, or anyone, has any authority over that garage heater. And it sort of dawned on me that this isn't all that different from the interaction with Jesus and the disciples, right? Storm looks a little different from the boat than it does from land. So it's easy to say, yeah, this storm has no authority over me, but when you're riding the waves and feeling pretty alone, it can be a little bit different. So when it tells us that Jesus is sleeping with his head on the cushion, right? And the disciples come up and they yell, don't you care if we die? Like a little vague and indirect about what they really want. You know? <laughs> when they say that, I have to imagine that A, it took Jesus a second to catch up, right? Because he's tired, he's haggard. He's been sleeping and he gets up. I have to imagine he stood there for a second and was like... And then what does he do, right? He addresses the storm first. He rebukes the wind and the waves. 
He exercises his power and authority. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, Really? (laughs) Why, Why are you still afraid? How long have we been walking together? What have you seen me do? Do you still have no faith? I think what he's saying here is that there's there's really two ways that I understand that you have no idea who I am. The first is this. Why in the world would you let it get this far? If you really believed that Jesus had all power and authority over the wind and the waves, then you'd wake him up when you first saw the storm brewing, right? And we're no better than this. We, I, we do this all the time, right? We, Jesus calls us into something and we get in the boat and we're like, if things start getting a little hairy, and we're like, we got this. We got this, we got this, we got this. We tell to ourselves over and over, and I got this, I got this. And then we're like, we don't got this. <laughs> and we panic, right? And then we find ourselves and we're like, why, Jesus? I don't got it. Don't you care if we drown? <laughs> but the reality is that Jesus wants us to call on him all day, every day, all day long. He wants us to draw on his power and authority all day, not just when things get a little bit dicey. So the second way that he addresses that maybe they didn't fully understand him is by implying uh, that they would only be afraid of the storm, they'd only be afraid of the situation, if they doubted that he had authority over it. And this made me think, right? This was another big truth that sort of was breathed into me while I was preparing for this. We're only afraid of things if we think that they have authority over us. I started thinking about all the things that I'm afraid of, and I was like, wow, look at all the power and authority I've given that. And look at all the power and authority that I've robbed from Christ by giving to that. If we fear poverty, if if the world has its talons dug into us, right, then we're doubting that Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver us through poverty that he has the power and authority to provide for us. If we fear loneliness, if we believe that, we only fear loneliness if we believe that we are actually alone. We only fear death if we don't think that death has been defeated. So when we actually embrace the power and authority that our Savior has over death, loneliness, poverty, anxiety, depression, or whatever else it is that we might actually come up against, When we realize that, then and only then do we actually understand who it is that we serve. Who's in our boat? Remember that Jesus has all power and authority here on on earth and in heaven. That Jesus has all power and authority to deliver and there is no lack to God's surplus. Like that. I need you like that. (laughs) So in that moment... When the waves are calmed, and I think the disciples finally grasp the enormity of who it is that they're standing on a boat with, they knew that he was God, it implies in the text that they were scared of the storm, right? Because of the way they they cry out. It implies that they were scared, but then there's no room for question or for doubt about the way they were feeling once Jesus calmed the storm. It says they're terrified because they knew, without a shadow of a doubt, who they were following. They knew who they were serving. They knew who was riding with them. So as I get ready to close, I could get you guys to come up. 
I suppose we have to ask ourselves, and what I've been asking myself for many weeks is exactly the whole reason this, this, this book was written, right? Is who is this man? Who, do I really know who is in my boat? Some days, I think the answer is yes. Other days, I get caught up in the world, tuck Jesus deep inside my pocket. I get focused on my will or on my abilities. And then I'm surprised when I find them incapable of delivering, right? Somehow I'm surprised at my own inadequacy of walking around with Jesus in my pocket, saying I'm following Jesus when really I'm like, no, you come with me because I'm going here. So then, when I find him insufficient to deliver, I frantically pull him out of my pocket and I yell at him, don't you care? Don't you care if I fill in the blank? Then, like only Christ can do, supernatural, blows my mind, reshapes my whole definition of him. Here's a a story that's not in my notes, but one day I was sitting in my office not that long ago, and one of my big doubts is sometimes I doubt whether Jesus has power and authority over my work. Right? I doubt that. It's honest. Being honest. I was sitting in my office thinking about how badly I did not want to go to a meeting at 6 o'clock in the evening. How badly I wanted out of this meeting. I didn't want to have to go. I was, and I was just sitting in my office and I was like, Jesus, why? Like, don't you care if I don't get to spend the night with my family? Don't you care if I miss that time? Not 30 seconds later, my boss knocks on my door. And she opens the door. She's like, you know, I've been thinking. You only had like two minutes on the agenda. I'll just take Okay, I get it. You were sleeping in the stern the whole time. (laughs) So as we walk out of here today, I think we have to ask ourselves questions. We have to be asking ourselves questions, right? And not just for the next 10 minutes, not just inside these walls, but what we have to be asking ourselves every day, we have to be asking ourselves on the way home and at work tomorrow and with our kids and with our spouses, right? These are the questions. Number one, do we believe that Christ has the power and authority to deliver just exactly as he is? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is enough? Number two, do we believe that Jesus Christ has the power and authority to deliver us wherever we are? Do we believe that his power and authority crosses time zones? Do we believe that it crosses state lines? Do we believe that it is active in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces? Do we believe that wherever we are, Christ has power and authority. Even deeper, do we believe that it crosses socioeconomic status? Do we believe that it crosses race? Do we believe that it crosses education level? Do we honestly believe that Christ is Christ everywhere? Number three is, do we believe that Christ has the power and authority to deliver us from whatever we might face? Sort of dawned on me this week that if Jesus had the power and authority to defeat death, then what makes me think he wouldn't be capable of dealing with my poverty, with a potty mouth, with addiction to alcohol, pornography, drugs, nicotine? Why do I think he's not qualified to calm the storm that is a bitter or resentful spouse or child? Like Greg said a couple weeks ago, if God isn't Lord over everything, then he is Lord over nothing. So give it up. He's sleeping in your boat, waiting for you to call on him. And lastly, if you've never accepted Christ in the first place, then really what you have to ask yourself is, do I believe that Christ has power and authority at all? 
Are you going to choose to get in the boat knowing that it might mean some rough seas? Are you going to choose to get in the boat knowing that you may not fully understand who you're getting in the boat with at this point? Because he might have something to show you that you couldn't see from land. Are you willing to follow this man and to lean on his power and authority or are you going to stay back and stay on land? Watch the boat sail away. I can promise you that if you never get into the boat, then you will never see what he's trying to show you. 